Ellswick Show. I am Robert Steinbuck filling in for Dave today. Unfortunately, Dave is out sick, and we wish him our very best. I have no doubt that he's listening to make sure that I don't mess up his good show. Dave, I'll do my very best. We have an action-packed show for all of you today, and we are opening with one of my favorite conservative Republican legislators uh, here, of course, in the State House, and that's Mark Lowry. Mark, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate the invitation. So, Mark, I, if I recall, there's some big news, so to speak, that maybe not so big news, that you were down at the Capitol today. Is that right? Well, uh, actually, yes. Um, I traditionally do not file for re-election on the first day. It, it's just kind of one of the – I've won for the last four times not filing on the first day, so I'm, I'm afraid to accept, upset my mojo. So – but the week got so busy, and, and uh, I did file for re-election today. Uh, I was over at the Republican Party about the time some of the press was showing up, and I wanted to ask them, well, now, how did y'all know I was going to file? But they were actually there because uh, President Trump uh, filed for re-election. Today. I see. Yeah, oh, I see. Sarah well, Huckabee you Sanders. Know, you're, and, yeah. you're in good company then, <laughs> well, for I, sure. I think so. I can tell the audience. Mark's wearing his purple polka dotted socks as well. That's another good luck charm. <laughs> I'm making that up, of course. But nonetheless, listen, whatever's worked for you in the past, Mark, we want to keep you in that legislature. We want to keep you voting conservative. We want to move this state forward. I am so pleased with the progress that the state's made in, say, the last decade or so, give or take, don't hold me to a day, uh, but we've really done wonderfully as a state. But with that said, I think we have a lot more to do, and that uh, Dave and I have talked on his show before. We sort of scored the legislature uh, last term, and we gave it somewhere in the B range, meaning we think the legislature did some really good things, and we think the legislature missed some opportunities, and that will always be the case, right? But I think we can improve, and uh, I suspect you think we can improve. And I and I want to talk to you about several of the issues that I'm going to start calling the Steinbuck Scorecard. Now, of course, that's uh, as important uh, as what song I sing in the shower, because nobody listens to either one of them. But nonetheless, uh, I'm going to do it, and from time to time, of course, I appear on Dave's show, so I can share my thoughts on that. But these are all basic, or almost all basic conservative uh, ideas, and one of them is a little bit of a turn, and we'll talk about that one as well. Uh, but the first and foremost one that I want to talk with you about is perhaps, obviously, taxes. Uh, now, this is no small issue. This is an issue that confronts our Kansans and Americans for time immemorial. What are your sort of grand thoughts, right? I'm not asking you, should we have a tax on this or the, adjust this tax by 2% in this direction? But do you have a philosophy on what we should be doing for taxation? Well, I do. I, I think we fall, have followed a good trend uh, on the tax on tax cuts, but I don't know that we're really going far enough with that. Uh, especially yeah, I was on Dave's show when he was having legislators come in and give a grade to the legislative session. And uh, I, I know the governor's office had, had been using the phrase that, phrase that they thought it was the greatest of all time. Uh, and I had to push back on that. 
because uh, for one thing, you know, we did give uh, we did give uh, uh, a corporate tax cut, higher income, but that was after we had already given cuts to medium class. That's right. Uh, the, the medium wealth range and lower income. The concern I had was that, you know, you give the cut to lower income and then you turn right around and propose an increase in fuel and diesel That's taxes. Right. So the ver- the ones that are most affected by that and the ones you, you had given a tax cut to, working class poor, you've now taken that away by increasing the fuel taxes. That's right. And uh, so that's one of the things that made me uh, grade the session as a as a B. Uh, I, I may have even said a B minus mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. I think we have to be consistent on that. I think that there are other issues, and it, it, it frankly it infuriates me that uh, legislators try to get by with saying, "Well, actually, all we did was increase a fee here." We didn't increase a tax. Right, right. I I must say that's a bugaboo of mine as well, because the fact is, is the money coming out of my pocket and is it going into the government coffers? That's a tax. Now, I understand that some people are taxed when you go into a, a, let's say, a park when you pay as you go. It's a different kind of tax. I'm willing to have a conversation about that, but don't play games with me about, well, we don't call this one a tax, but we call that one a tax. That's the same thing, by the way, at the federal level when they talk about income tax versus what is called payroll tax. I'm sure you're aware of it. That's Social Security and uh, Medicare. And you know what? It's all coming out of my paycheck. Yeah. Well, one thing I've been getting a lot of mail on uh, and and constituents concern (laughs) is on and it's for it's a good program we are updating upgrading the 911 system okay uh on my bill on my phone bill and i read into the text of the legislation yesterday as we were having a hearing uh the 911 fee only increases on my phone line each phone line from 65 cents to a dollar 30 the calls I've been getting are from people who have prepaid phones mm. where their fee went from $0.65 cents to $5.50. Isn't that interesting? So typically the prepaid phones are folks who are lower income. Exactly. That was the point yeah. I made in testimony and, or, or in questioning and wanted to know the explanation. Right. Because the thing I pointed out is that I don't see one. I have a, a real concern with any bill that's 43 pages long. That's right. Okay. That's right. Because these are the kinds of things that can get hidden in there. They do get hidden. And I said, I don't see anywhere in this bill that would have shown that it was going to be a 400 or 500% increase. Well, right. Their explanation was, well, actually, it's in there that there would be a 10% increase on prepaid. I said, well, then why don't you use the same apples to apples comparisons or language and they and they had a very uh senator rapert uh, uh who was a, a senate sponsor mm-hmm. co-sponsor mm-hmm. had a very good explanation that prepaid phones are not billed monthly they're just billed based on or you pay based on getting the prepaid and how oh, it is. and oh, sometimes those prepaid phones uh, I don't know anyone that could probably make their minutes last three months or That's four the thing. months. Right. You know? What's the outcome? Yeah. You know, what's the effective tax of exactly. that $5? Exactly. Is it $5 for a month or is it $5 for five months? Right. And so I've asked that we uh, get very clear information going forward right. as to, one, the revenue that's raised specifically off of prepaid phones 
and what is, as you said, the effective uh, the tax effective tax or fee rate. Fee rate. Thank you. And <laughs> I, uh, I call it a tax. I, well, I know, and but, I do too. And I have the same feeling about higher ed when they talk about, oh, well, we've been able to rope, uh, rope in tuition increases. Well, what about your fee increases? That's right. Oh, and I've seen it. You know, I work in higher ed, of course, and I've seen it. uh, Fees getting added on. Tuition is held constant. Fees go up. Guess what? The bill to the student went up. That's what counts. That's the bottom line. That's exactly the bottom line. And I and I really it drives me crazy when you hear the doublespeak. Governmental doublespeak is is not only frustrating, it's dangerous. Right. Because if they can do it about a 65 cent tax on your phone bill, they can do it about more substantial rights as well. Oh, well, actually, we've taken away your ability to drive. You know why? Because that's not a right. That's a privilege. That's a debate that's gone on a long time ago and been settled in one direction by the courts. But why is it a privilege, not a right? Because somebody said so. Right. That's why. And as I've mentioned to you, I teach communication. Right. Uh, I've taught at UCA for a number of years, and now I teach uh, one night class at Henderson State on Thursday nights. And we we talk about language and how language is uh, sometimes purposefully meant to be deceptive. That's right. And it happens a lot in government. Uh, For instance, someone may be trying to uh, sneak a tax by, we'll call it revenue enhancement. Yeah, exactly. You know, the whole battle over... We don't we don't talk about global warming anymore. That's right. Because they couldn't. Because it didn't warm. It, they got gold. Yeah, exactly. The science <laughs> right. wasn't supporting right. that. So, so now instead, it's climate, climate change. Well, right. he's going to argue with the phrase climate change. Yeah, right. the climate does change. Right. You know. Right. So we have to be careful. Language. You know, I used to think it was the most absurd thing when when uh, Bill Clinton in his deposition on Paula Jones talks about it well it depends on what the meaning of is is right right. but you know he's right right uh when i I coach debate at uca we would have sometimes debates in a uh, students debating over the word should yeah what was what does the word should that's right that's right does it imply a an actual policy change and if so you've got to have funding in there and you have to enforce it or is should instead just it would be a good idea right you know right and uh, and of course in law I teach, as you know, in the law school, we have that same question. When that sentence in that law says such and such, must I do that? May I do that? Am I prevented from doing that? So, of course, all of these nuances are important. And then when you layer on top of that, that some government bureaucrat, or as I like to say, bureau hack, uh, takes some ambiguous term from a law that you and your colleagues have passed and comes to a conclusion that a fee hike, I say somewhat mockingly, a tax hike of 65 cents on your phone bill becomes $5 on somebody else's phone bill, we need to be concerned. We uh, need to figure out what's going on. So a- good for you for a- following absolutely. up. Absolutely. And, and, you know, the process uh, and this, uh, you and I were talking before we went on the air right. about the issue of term limits. Right. And I used to be adamantly opposed uh to term limits until right. you know until frankly it benefited me I, you know, <laughs> I was able to run because my right. predecessor was, who was, rep, was representative ed garner uh could not run again funny but once i got in there especially being on the education committee uh the, the school finance school funding is so complex it, it took me easily uh into my second term 
uh, and maybe even further to really understand right. foundation funding and the matrix and how we do spend 18 months looking at line items. But then when we send the money to the superintendents, they don't have to spend based oh, on the my. line items. And it's absolutely maddening. I, as a general matter, am concerned about the level of oversight of education from K through the highest graduate school. Uh, I think that the legislature and the governor need to have more oversight. I think I'm not telling, I'm not saying picking curriculum. I'm talking about managing the business because of course the business is the business of the state for state schools. And we see a good example of this and, and we'll take a break in a moment. Um, and this will lead us into our next topic. I thought of course, uh, that the legislature did a wonderful job with Charlie Collins's bill of campus carry. And the premise behind that is very simple, and I think it should permeate the legislature's understanding of their role. That is, those campuses belong to the citizens of Arkansas, not to some bureaucrat who, who happens to run it. And by the way, if he or she's doing a good job, good for them. But they don't own that campus. The teachers who are overwhelmingly leftist, incidentally, don't own that campus, and the students don't own that campus. They are all stakeholders in a much bigger environment. And so when you heard some leftist teachers come in and say, you know, professors at the university, we can't have guns on campus, excuse me, that's not your campus. That's everyone's campus. And guess who I and everybody else hired to be uh, our administrators of government property? You and all of your colleagues. Mm-hmm. And so you guys said, these are the people's campuses, and we are going to decide one way or the other. I'm not saying the legislature can't decide the other way. I'm glad they decided the way they decided. But the point is, that's the role of the legislature, and I'm tired of hearing from K up to the highest graduate, kindergarten up to the highest graduate school, when folks on campus say, well, this is my campus. Uh, no, it ain't. And so we're going to talk about Second Amendment when we come back right after this break. This is the Dave Ellswick Show. I am Robert Steinbuck filling in for Dave, who is unfortunately out sick, and we wish him very well, of course. I hope he's listening. I know he's listening, checking up on me, um, holding the mantle here. As I mentioned before the break, we are here with my very good friend, Mark Lowry, state rep. Mark, what, what is your district? Tell us. Well, it's District 39. It's primarily Maumelle, but okay. it also takes in the unincorporated areas of Morgan, Marche, Oak Grove. And then goes into North Little Rock into the Amboy gotcha. community. Sure. So, northwest Pulaski County. Right. For the Terrific. Most part. Yeah. Terrific. Well, um, and you're on the this upcoming ballot. I will be. As of right. today. Right. I, I, ever, I was getting phone calls from people wanting to know, well, now, wait a minute. I, are you filing for re-election? Right. And I am. And, and I do have a Democrat opponent who filed on Wednesday. Uh, and so, you know, it'll be, of course, the Democrats come after me every two years. Well, and, of course they do. And... Uh, you know, you mentioned early on um, uh, whether it was uh, not wanting to upset my mojo by not filing the first day or wearing per, uh, p- polka dot socks. The the truth is, it's it's the people of that district mm-hmm. that 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 is my uh, good luck omen. I, I think I've uh, done the best I can to represent the constituency. I mentioned in the, the first section, I voted against the motor fuel tax. Mm-hmm. The main reason I did that is because the city of Maumelle, the residents, 
had voted themselves a half-cent sales tax to pay for the new interchange, mm. which just opened up right. yesterday. Oh, is that right? Yesterday? Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I had the ribbon cutting uh, uh, Wednesday, and I did not think it was right uh, when the citizens have put on them themselves a temporary half-cent sales tax to pay for their number one infrastructure need Right. that, frankly, Department of Transportation really, you know, they, they could have taken care of on the, their own, so to speak. They could right, have. Right. Uh, I mean, they were, they certainly participated in the design work and things like that. Right. But really, the citizens of Maumelle should not have had to tax themselves. <laughs> and so I just felt like it was the right thing to do to also uh, cast my vote to try and relieve them right. of those that fuel tax. Good for you. I'm very skeptical, in particular, of fuel taxes, as we talked about in the last segment. That is a generally regressive tax. And the problem with those fuel taxes is they're sticky. They get in there, and it's hard to dig them out. It's like a tick on a on a hound, and it, it's a you know the, I'm the northerner using yeah, these okay. uh, expressions, of course. <laughs> but that notwithstanding, um, it's so I'm I'm concerned about them, and so I appreciate that vote. I really do. Another vote. Um, did it come in the house? I'm not even sure. That bill that would have allowed the transfer of a uh, car, I think under four thousand dollars, not to have a sales tax. Well, it actually, uh, Representative John Payton carried the bill in the House. It would have raised to from $2,000 to $7,500 mm-hmm. that, that you do not have to pay sales tax. Mm-hmm. Sales tax has already been collected on That's that right. car when That's it right. was new, and it probably if it's exchanged hand several times that's right because um, we're talking about a car that's not worth that much money anymore that's exactly right and you know this was one of the I, my opponent has already taken me to task that i voted for high high income high class uh, or upper income tax cut right i pointed out to the reporter even though I, I don't think he put it in the article that i voted against the motor fuel tax to right. protect lower income voters i voted for the increase in, to seventy five hundred dollars for you and so those are the things that need to be remembered. And That's right. I voted for the lower income tax cut before I ever. Exactly. That was the, the first tax. That was the first one. That's the exactly first, right. The first cut. That's yeah. right. So. Good for you. Good Thank for you. you. Uh, the, and that's the point. All Arkansans uh, are deserving of some tax relief. Uh, and my sister lives in Massachusetts, and she has a lower tax burden than I do. Massachusetts. It doesn't get any more leftist than that, and she has a lower tax burden than I do. And my response to folks when they say, well, you know, we need to do this or we need to do that. It's the highway this, the tree that, whatever whatever it is. My response is, good. There's a big pile of money over there. You go figure out how to spend it mm-hmm. because you don't need any more. And if something gets left off the list, so be it. That's my response. So be it. Think about it. In federal and state taxes and FICA and sales taxes and property taxes and, and car taxes, we keep far less than we give to the government in taxes. Far less. You know, you go to a restaurant uh, and we have uh, 11% tax. And if you get hard alcohol, I don't typically get it, but the waitress was telling me 33% tax. My goodness. Right. I mean, at some point you've got to say, hey, do I get to see any of my money? Right. So I've, I've chewed up uh, most of our time. We're going we're gonna to take another break, uh, but we'll lead into it by uh, prefacing that I want to talk to you about your general views on gun rights, sure. on the Second Amendment. Because 
As I mentioned, I was a big supporter. I testified in favor of Charlie Collins's um, campus carry bill. Of course, that passed quite well. Charlie, unfortunately, lost re-election uh, because he was in a, a purple district, and um, his um, his uh, opponent sort of fought him hard on that. But I think we need to not only stand our ground, but move ahead, move forward with conservative ideals on guns. And so... Let's talk about that after we come back from this break. This is the Dave Ellswick Show. I am Robert Steinbuck filling in for Dave as he is unfortunately out sick. And we have in the studio one of my favorite conservative representatives here in the state, Mark Lowry. And we're talking about a number of issues both uh, on the air and during the break. Um, Mark... We were talking during the break about some of these claims by, um, was it David Crouch or is it Couch? What's his David name? David Couch. Couch. Yeah. And he wants, you know, every 10 years with a census, census we have redistricting and uh, it's done on a partisan basis. That's how it's been for a thousand years. Obviously not, but you take my point. And now that the Republicans are in control, uh, people like David all of a sudden say they want nonpartisan uh, determinations. And I would be a lot more sympathetic, frankly, if they weren't so transparent in their own partisanship, meaning their goal is it will take partisan as long as it's Democratic partisan. But we don't want Republican partisan. That ain't right. So I finally, I, I frankly turn off listening to those kind of arguments anymore because it's so transparently self-interested. Right. So what are your thoughts on that? And then well, you started to tell me during the break there may be some other issues similar yeah. to that in your well, locality. Like, like I, I told you, um, I've gotten emails uh, or Facebook messages or whatever from people criticizing, uh, you know, gerrymandering. Uh, back after the 2000 census, and that's how you ended up with these Republican supermajorities. Right. And I have to you know, right. answer hilarious. back and go, uh, excuse me, but that was handled by two of the three were Democrats. That's right. Beebe, uh, Governor Beebe and Attorney General uh, Dusty McDaniel. Yeah, Dusty. My good and, friend Dusty. Uh, the, the Republican was outvoted, Mark Martin. Of so course. those districts were drawn by Democrats. Entirely, by the so way. So you can't Entirely. say that it's gerrymandering that we have four congressmen now that are Republicans, that the legislature's supermajority. And But you're exactly right. Partisanship is okay when they're in control. Right. But when they're not, oh, well, we need to be nonpartisan. Oh, yeah, nonpartisan. And, you know, we're seeing on the local level, Pulaski County, uh, election commissions in each county are based on the majority party. So you have three members, mm-hmm. two now are, right. are Republican, right. one's Democrat. Yeah. Same but, idea okay. as the line drawing. But forever in many counties, especially Pulaski County, mm-hmm, sure. it's been two to one Democrat, Republican. Sure. Well, Judge Barry Hyde doesn't like that. So he's going to try and put together his own election task force or whatever he's going to call it. He's going to appoint them. How much you want to bet that it's going to be Democrat right. loaded. And, I'll take it. I'll and, take the bet. Whatever, whatever the over-under is, you're right. <laughs> I tell you right now, I know you're right. Yeah, and on top of that, he is, going, he is introducing a resolution to take the staff away from the constitutionally mandated election commission, which 
majority Republican. Right, of course. And, you know, I... I wonder if that's legal, frankly. Well, um, that's something that a, a number of people are looking at. Right. Yeah, you know, we've got a, another issue going on out in my district where a, a road uh, has been closed by barricade by the county judge, even though... A petition has been circulated by 80% of the homeowners along this one road called Short Marche. Um, Every elected official in the area, Mayor Caleb Norris, Justices of the Peace, Paul Elliott, Phil Stowers, myself, I've had conversations, and we've just been absolutely rebuffed. Uh, I would make the argument that, frankly, it probably doesn't help our cause with a Democrat county judge that that area is represented all by Republicans. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I just, you know, I'm, I don't have any reason to know if that's the case. Right. But when you also see that along with what he is doing with the election process. Why is he closing the road? What's the purported basis even? Well, it was a, it was a road. Um, very, it's a very narrow road, and mm. traffic has picked up dramatically mm. between the Oak Grove community oh, and Maumel. Right. But it connects in with this new interchange. Well, all of a sudden, now, he is putting up a barricade. Ah, you know, it reminds me of Even Bridgegate. Though, you remember Bridgegate in New Jersey? Yeah. Well, it sounds a little Bridgegate-ish. It probably so. Okay. Barricade-ish. Yeah, uh, it's Barricade. Uh, Barricade. I can't even say it. Yeah. and Barricade-gate. Uh, it's in the, the master road plan for mm-hmm. the county mm-hmm. to be open, for that mm-hmm. road to be open. Uh, well, pre- roads are generally supposed to be open, aren't they? I mean, yeah, this well, is generally this is kind of an odd thing for me. Well, that's a road, but not a road yeah, that you can actually close. use. Yeah, yeah. So um, anyway, I, I think it's it's maybe worked against us that we just don't happen to be in the same party. Yeah, oddly as enough, Judge Hyde, and uh, that was the problem with Bridgegate, in New Jersey. Yeah. Now, I, let me let me just say, in yeah. all fairness, that uh, Judge Hyde was very responsive in returning my calls. Matter of fact, we Good. did phone tag mm-hmm. several times. Sure. And even after he left me a detailed message and I called him, he still wanted to spend time yeah. explaining. Well, that's, so that's to so his I credit. do appreciate yes, that. That's to his credit. But Absolutely. I think that there needs to be more responsiveness right. where you have not just a majority, but you have a super majority that's right. of people in the area, residents along that street and right. also in the affected communities. Right. You should listen to that and wow. you should Amen. also listen to their elected leaders. It's one of the things that I really do like overall about Arkansas politics is elected officials are quite accessible and they should be accessible. And when elected officials start to think that they're better than the people, that they are not working for the people, but that they're governing. Now, that word has many meanings, but when they start saying, well, I'm governing and they start to stretch out that word and stretch out that meaning, I start to become skeptical. Uh, That was one of the reasons amongst many, I'm sure, that Hillary lost, I believe, and it it was this sense of entitlement and this sense of authority. And that position, president of the United States, is a position that is supposed to serve the people of the United States, not the other way around. And I fear... Too many politicians that run for president and plenty of other offices, by the way, don't understand that balance. Right. So I appreciate your comments on that very well. Um, let's uh, turn uh, and talk uh, about uh, gun rights. Gun rights, yes. Yeah. Well, again, as we started with taxes, give us your kind of uh, um, 800 feet above the ground view on gun rights. Well, uh, you've referenced several times Representative uh, Charlie Collins' bill, and, and I uh, – 
uh, was proud to be a co-sponsor with him. Uh, the first time it didn't pass. The second time that it did pass, except that universities could opt out of it. Yeah. So they gutted it. Yeah. Right. And then uh, the third time uh, when he was able to remove that opting out uh, process, I voted for it all three times. Good for you. One of the reasons why, uh, you know, he wanted me engaged is because I, I was a college instructor. Right. Uh, I actually had, you know, my testimony, uh, if anyone asked me, was that I taught a class on a second uh, second floor with one way in, one way out. And if an active shooter came in, uh, we're just, we're fishing a barrel. There, there's right. no That's escape. That's right. You can't hide under a desk, throwing a book That's at, right. at the, you know, active shooters, not going to help. No. But what will help is if one of my colleagues down the hall Here's gunfire, and they're able. They're carrying a weapon. That's right, and they can come in. Now, I, right. yeah, I've heard all the the counter arguments uh, when I, you know, I actually spoke to the UCA Board of Trustees, urging them when there was the opt out, right, not to opt out, not to opt out, right. And they had actually they had data uh, that had been collected of students where the students wanted not to opt out, right, but you know. Uh, uh, President Courtway didn't want to mention. Right. That didn't come up in the discussion. That no, they, that, no, that's what, what I love. It's, they, they do all these data analyses, and when they don't come out the way they like it, well, we don't mention that anymore. Yeah, yeah. The, what was mentioned was the survey that a faculty member right. who, who didn't want it. Exactly. Well, what are we in the business of? Right. We're in the business of educating students and protecting students. That's right. And if they said in, in their polling their survey right they want this ad, added pre- pressure or protection right I, I told people that you know frankly what we ought to do on that case freshmen uh, at uca are required to live in the dorms mm-hmm. okay right. well if they can't have uh of course the issue never really come up came up about whether students right. should have right. weapons but the law went, you know, goes so far as that even uh, the weapon if a, a student has it can't even be stored that's in right their in the dorm. vehicle in their vehicle, oh, in the vehicle, they can't even me. have it. Right. Well, I, you know, I'd say, well, if you want to teach them a lesson, then these freshmen should say, "You are infringing upon my Second Amendment right, right. and I am going to ask for a waiver. I'm going to demand a waiver that I have to live in the dorms and pay these, this exorbitant price. Right. I want to live off. I want to live off campus. Yeah. Right. Well, that's an it's an interesting point. I testified. Uh, in favor of Charlie's bill the first time around when it didn't pass. And so I guess we can correlate the fact that my testimony in favor of bill is good, likely to kill it. But that notwithstanding, I continue to support him openly on the various versions. And it's really remarkable what you highlight there, which is that the faculty uh, uh, didn't want it. Well, here are the facts. And this is not bias. This is not spin. Faculties across this country and including in Arkansas are overwhelmingly leftist. By the way, if you had such a dichotomy in hiring for any other breakdown, meaning rather than politics, let's say you had overwhelmingly men or you had overwhelmingly whites and they were hired and there weren't any of the corresponding other, whatever the other may be, men would be women, whites would be non-whites. People would say there's some form of discrimination going on. But when you look at these 99% leftist faculties and there's there's one conservative like me on the campus, they say, oh, no, 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 that's all. It's just random. 
random outcomes. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you, with those kind of random outcomes, I want to go straight to Vegas because I would win on those kind of random outcomes, 99% in change. It's just not the case. So when these overwhelmingly self-selected leftists decide that they want to dictate to the population of the state of Arkansas who may carry a gun on campus, my response is, take a number. Oh, you've got to vote. But it's one of the votes of all citizens. You don't own that property. You work for the people of Arkansas who own that property. Right. And a lot of times Republicans are uh, get sucked in uh, to the argument in opposing that or opposing, uh, uh, you know, putting strictures on funding. Right. Whether it's at higher ed or, you know, I've, I've talked to you during break that we go through this elaborate, this extensive process for adequacy right and we go line item by line item uh but what you do is you reach a bottom line dollar figure per and then you write a check and you write a check and the superintendent says you know i'm not going to spend it based on the line item that's right and the republicans get sucked in to accepting it because they believe in local control yeah and that's such it's it's a it's a misunderstanding of the term local control here's what local control means in academia it means that the local teachers and others get to decide the substance of the topics that they're teaching it has nothing to do with finance you as an elected state representative are the are in charge of the money and you should have could not I'm not saying they, they have to get approval from you to buy a box of pens, but you guys should be breaking down those numbers for the expenditures again from kindergarten to the highest of higher education. That is a misunderstanding by Republicans as to what local control means. And we're going to take a break now and then we're going to come back and talk about something that I have a lot of personal as well as uh, philosophical interest in, and that is the freedom of conservatives to speak on campus. This is the Dave Ellswick Show. I am Robert Steinbeck filling in for Dave. We wish Dave the best. He's a little bit under the weather, but he will be back uh, most likely next week, and we will let you know for sure as that proceeds. We're finishing up our time with Mark Lowry, uh, state representative, of course, who's running for re-election. Thank goodness, by the way. And I wanted to talk to you about an issue that dovetails with what we have been speaking on already and something that I personally have a great interest in, and that is this notion of academic freedom and tenure in higher education because conservatives, this is another mistake that conservatives make. Conservatives so routinely say, well, I'm against tenure because what tenure does is protects incompetent professors from being fired. And while... Any system of job protection has a potential for abuse. It's not what it's not what happens on the ground across this country. I see it. Tenure is the system that protects those who are dissenters. That's why it was created uh, from being fired for having minority viewpoints. And as you know, Mark, as we just discussed, what's a minority viewpoint in higher education? Conservative. And we have seen in Arkansas and outside of Arkansas, universities trying to limit the tenure rights of faculty, uh, literally drawing them back. Uh, they're limiting their academic freedom rights, their ability to say things, to write things, to communicate ideas. And it is a direct attack on conservative thought. 
Don't get me wrong. One day, if for some reason academia went entirely conservative and there was only a handful of liberal professors, you know, in that make-believe world when that would happen, then those liberal professors would be protected. And you know what I would say then? Good for them as well. We need to hear from those other voices. And so uh, I think it's important that we protect those rights. And this is kind of challenging to the uh, basic uh, conservative ethos because they they conservatives are not thinking deeply about this issue. They remember the day when tenure was a means for um, liberals to sort of protect their own with, with within the academy, within higher education. It's no longer the case. And so I don't know what thoughts you have on this. You are an academic. Uh, I'd love to hear it. And I tell you now, I caution you in advance. I'm coming to you with a bill to push for stronger conservative tenure rights in Arkansas when we're back in session. Well, I would I would agree with that. Thank you. Because I've seen the same, uh, and I'll I'll be glad to sponsor it as well. I appreciate uh, that. Now, but but in all fairness, I will right. say that uh, several years back, I, I chaired a task force that was looking at realignment of higher ed, mm-hmm. and the goal of it was to start moving more independent campuses to your campuses into systems oh, yeah. so that you could have uh, better efficiencies. Absolutely. Uh, that instead of always talking about raising more revenues, that we start looking at cutting some expenses. Yep. I agree with that 100%, by the way. Why do we have so many layers of administration when we could combine? Exactly right. And, and uh, we ended up not making any recommendations because near the end of that process, Governor Huckabee, uh, excuse me, Governor Hutchinson asked me to sponsor the bill on outcomes-based funding. I felt, and I told the task force, that I felt that that could be an organic process, mm-hmm. that that could be. And, and sure enough, that's what we have found out. We've, right. we've seen campuses that said they never wanted to be a part of the system, Plasky Tech being right. one, right. Rich Mountain Community College, uh, uh, Mid-South Community College. They, they align, and we're seeing uh, now Henderson State Wonderful. is going to become part of the ASU I system. I saw that. I just read uh, that, yes. Uh, College of the Ozarks uh, in Malvern going to be, is part of the ASU system. Right. Um, but one of the things that I actually put out there, and it was mainly to just kind of raise an alarm, is that we also need to look at tenure yeah. and whether it is really providing uh, a, a meaningful service. And, right. and, and I was open to discussion elements about one, having periodic review sure maybe every five years sure. of tenure uh because you do know that there are the situations sure. out there uh on issues of uh, incompetence sure but uh, you know. i'll tell you this that that notion about review is ever present in most systems of tenure now meaning the no some people have in their mind that once a professor gets tenured that's it he locks himself in his office no i get a review every single year Every year I get a review, and that's under the existing system. So I, I agree that uh, we need to be concerned about quality, uh, but the existing tenure system is means you can be only fired if you are incompetent, meaning you can't be fired for your political views. Don't get me wrong. I think that from time to time, uh, leftist ac- um, administrators will try to fire a conservative under the claim of incompetence when it's not incompetence. Right. But the fa- what conservatives, I think, are not well appreciating enough is that tenure 
allows you currently to fire people who are incompetent. They have to be given an opportunity to respond. And that's what's different than, say, working at McDonald's. If the supervisor at McDonald's thinks you're not doing a good job, you're out on your behind. Right. Well, there's a little bit more protection. And I, I'd follow up on your point right. that, that there has to be better balance in higher education between conservative and uh, liberal and, exactly. uh, instructors and professors and those who are under tenure and that you would even believe that if it went swung the other way where it was overwhelmingly conservative that that's not a that's good not thing, a good thing either. especially in a liberal arts atmosphere that's right uh, I, I coach debate at the university of central arkansas and i i really told people have told people though i've been very fortunate to you know i've been a newspaper editor i worked for uh, governor huckabee when he was lieutenant governor um Biggest help to me of being a legislator was coaching debate, coaching students how to argue both sides of any issue. And it gave me more of a perspective when I went into the legislature that uh, my, my, those who are on the opposite side of an issue, it's not that they're wrong and I'm right. They just have, in many cases, a different perspective. That's right. A perspective That's right. that I don't share. I haven't had that background. Uh, and I, so I'm willing to talk with them. Now, I'm, as you've said several times, I am a strong conservative. Amen. And I do uh, get frustrated by the pushback sometimes from, from liberals on a lot of issues, like right. vote, voter ID right. was one, right. you know. Uh, but so we need that balance. And, and when it gets out of whack, like it is in higher ed right now, then th- I would welcome your bill. Well, I really appreciate it. Uh, Mark, it's so wonderful to have you in today. Thank you. Uh, we wish you the absolute best luck on your reelection. I'm confident that the good people of your district will vote you in again. And we are going to talk with you a lot more as the election process proceeds to get more of your outstanding views. Well, thank you very much. Um, are we good to go, Zach, to commercial? All right, let's go. We'll, we'll take a break and we'll be back. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.